Good morning from Zurich. You're listening to Monocle on Sunday with me, Tyler Roulet. Coming up over the next hour, my guests, Florian Egley and Oliver Stribus, a new voice around the table here. Uh, but Florian uh, is back from the Med. Uh, what tales from the Aegean? Back from four, year, four years. No, four years? Four that, that's a long holiday. Four weeks of Aegean uh, speaking Greek and Turkish. <laughs> Very good. And, and any, any sort of stories along the way, hopefully? Um, many today's papers to or beyond? Um, both. So um, we'll do a bit of grammar from today's uh, papers, what it means to be joist. And of course, uh, yesterday was the street parade. The Locarno Film Festival ended. A bit of that. And then maybe some travel stories if we have time. Very good. We're also heading to the Balkans here. Have the latest from there. I'm Guy Delaunay, Monocle's Man in the Balkans, and I'll be bringing you the Croatian coastal conundrum for seasiding Serbs, a Tito tour that's causing consternation, and housing hell for Slovenia's kidults. Very good, Guy. Mary Fitzgerald will bring us the latest headlines from France and North Africa. Plus, live on the radio, we'll be calling the winners of Monocle's very first Monocle Common Sense Quiz. It's the 14th of August, 2022, live from Zurich. This is Monocle on Sunday. Live from Zurich, this is Monocle on Sunday with Tyler Brulé. And good morning from a, it's a sunny Zurich, it's a crisp Zurich this morning. Uh, I can say it is uh, the the morning after uh, the street parade. Uh, Streets are not... uh, too stinky, uh, but the streets are looking a little, a little bit, a little bit messy uh, this morning, at least uh, on the way in, which is rather uh, unZurich. You've heard the voice of Florian Egli already this morning. I'm also very happy to say that we have a new voice around uh, the microphone here, uh, Oliver Stribus. He's a professor of political science um, at the University of Zurich. Good morning. Very nice to see you. Good morning. Now, now this is a, it's a wide beat, uh, of course, the world of uh, of poli sci. Uh, what is your particular area of expertise? Uh, mostly, I do quite some mainstream stuff like elections and, uh, well, for Switzerland, mainstream direct democratic votes. I'm also which keeps you busy in this which country. Keeps me, yeah, this this is really cool. It it keeps me feeling important because there is always something coming up. Um, and then I do some stuff on globalization and migration. And like everyone, I'm watching now very much to this right populist turn all over the Western world. Very good. Uh, Florian Egli uh, is here as well. As we said, what well, we heard, of course, in the intro, sounded like he was on a, on a four-year odyssey, but it wasn't. It was, only, it was only four weeks. It was four weeks. It felt like four years. So it's pretty okay. So is this a commentary? Because <laughs> I know you were, last time we were, were chatting and some of our uh, listeners might remember, you were getting on a decent-sized boat. Uh, but oftentimes we do hear that when you're on a boat, it, it can feel very long because the conversation repeats and repeats and repeats, um, no matter how much, of course, you, you love your, your fellow cabin and deckmates. It does. So I felt a bit like a relationship coach, to be honest, like a bit of a therapist, because I was there with a couple and then luckily a fourth person joined as well. But so the couple was in charge of the boat. Um, and, you know, I mean, they're planning to sail around the world together, but they have major communication issues, which is really hard to kind of sustain when you're there and you can't you can't get off the boat, right? Because you're I mean, it's the Mediterranean is not huge, but you can't swim to the shore for sure so uh, you by what day one day two you're very much sort of looking forward to sort of every moment of possible shore leave sort of looking sort of rather yes. longingly at those ports as you might have been sailing past them as well exactly exactly so day day one was very hard um day two we had a big kind of conversation that i wanted to kind of sail more and do more things in order to be less involved in in you know the the, the sorting out the troubles which then worked out so I, I love sailing i love the act of sailing you know the you know the action of it so that was cool so as we got into this mode it was it, it turned it turned out to be much better very good yeah um you well you you 
highlighted one story, but maybe we'll come back to that uh, a little bit later. But let's just reflect uh, a little bit on, uh, of course, we had the street parade here in Zurich uh, yesterday. Uh, it is, it's interesting to watch the city on a on a Friday afternoon because a lot of people who are getting the hell out of town, uh, and and then there's a lot of people who are descending on the city um, as well. I flew back. Um, I was in uh, Galicia for a few days. I flew back on. Friday and you could already sort of see people with like crazy trainers and um, odd footwear and wings on their back. They were already landing uh, and and coming into the city. Uh, but uh, ha- listen, you know, this is probably your city uh, more than mine. How did it feel having the street parade back in back in town? Uh, were you out and about uh, experiencing it either firsthand or from afar? I, I experienced it quite a bit, actually, I, but not because I was dancing so much. I was playing a tennis tournament just next to the parade. Um, and uh, I tried to to play in the rhythm of, of the bounces, you know, instant, but it didn't really work out. So today I just have muscle lake and I lost my game. And <laughs> oh, well, and this is, the, this is the curious thing, because there are all these parallel lives happening, which when you look around the city, there's a lot of people just sort of getting on with their kids' birthday parties and doing many other things. Uh, and then you have also then a lot of other people. They're not raiding the local cope, you know, um, and and they the, the wine the wine and beer <laughs> fridge. So the the one around the corner is looking um, like it was under attack uh, this morning. The street cleaners are certainly they've been busy overnight, uh, and they'll have a, probably quite a busy Sunday uh, as well. Did you partake, Florian? I, I love the feeling of street parade. So I, I you know I on Friday evening I went for my swim at Utoke, so the body which is very close to here. It's usually like super quiet and kind of businessy ish because everybody comes you know from a long week of work and then has a glass of rosé there and kind of goes swimming. So this Friday, you know, it's all this skin and glitter everywhere. It's, it's kind of like this real like notion of okay, people are arriving and they're they're off to something here, and it's not just the end of the week. Um, so it's really it's really cool vibes. And then also I like the Sunday morning after the street parade, um, which is really this cleaning atmosphere. So you feel like a whole city wakes up with a hangover. And I mean, it's twice the population of the city that dances, right? So I mean... But it's the only day in the year you cannot go swimming in. Exactly. I mean, but it's, it's good you went on Friday, not on <laughs> Sunday morning. <laughs> I wonder if I, was, I, went, I went swimming this morning, but I'm quite oh, down man. lake. I'm yeah, down, yeah, no, yeah, I'm yeah, down yeah, lake though. Up lake, up lake. I'm up lake, so I'm yeah. safer, right? <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. safe, yeah. And, it, and, and listeners, you can figure it out why you don't want to be in swimming like Zurich. What's, uh, what's the, final remark, what's very interesting is um, Street Parade is still officially a political demonstration. So it's carried out by an association and it's officially registered as a political demonstration. That's why they don't have to pay for security concepts and all of that. So that's taken care of by the public, which is really interesting. And so this year they came with, they have a motto every year, right? And this year they came about with the motto super late. And I, th- I don't know what happened really, but I think something went wrong because they need one because otherwise it's not a political demonstration. And the motto this year was just think. Okay. That's it. <laughs> now, I have, I have a, a question, and maybe you were there, but I need to bring Emma in on this, because Emma, you, Emma you, will, you will appreciate this. First, Emma, are you... Are, I'm do you feel like Do you feel like you're, you're, missing, you're missing out? Is a street parade something for you? Um, well, um, possibly. I mean, a pair of angel wings can be put on occasionally. I just want to know about the training. What about some body glitter? Always. There's always space for body glitter. Um, Monday to Friday, even a trip to the supermarket. Tell me about the trainers, Tyler. Well, well, the, well, the trainers here. It's interesting, isn't it? So, if we if we think back to the Spice Girls, uh, and uh, and of course the dawn of the Spice Girls, and and the Buffalo, the Buffalo, the Buffalo trainer, and then. Mm. We thought, well, yeah, when well, the Spice was gone, the Buffalo trainer would never come back because what a crazy idea. Of course, it kept lots of, you know, orthopedic departments very busy. Uh, girls, maybe some boys falling off them, you know, in the what late 80s, early 90s, never to be seen again. 
Except now, the, that Buffalo trainer is back, as you've noticed, Emma. They Not have, that you're, you they, purchased a pair. From London, I'd hate to say that they've been and they've gone. Uh, they, we, we were big on buffaloes about two years ago. So so uh, I do hate to say that Zurich is, has some catching up to do. But, but like you, you do look at them. And instead of thinking this is a fashion item, the first thing I think about is, and maybe it's because I'm old and don't care anymore, but it's the fact that it's, it's people look as if they're just about to break their ankles. Can you dance in them? Can you dance them for yeah. it? Not you personally, Sorry? or maybe you could. <laughs> or you would be a giant if you were. From personal experience, like, I wouldn't exactly. Like, I'm, right. I'm already way too tall like this. Uh, what, how do I look on buffaloes? I mean... Well, anyway, just to, sorry, Emma, but Emma, we have to go back to your comment, though, about <laughs> buffaloes coming two years too late to Zurich. This yeah. is... This is this is Zurich, though, because the, these these trends always happen a little bit late. I mean, the Poke Bowl only recently arrived here, I believe. The the burger trend came late. Everything does arrive a little bit a little bit later here. And it's and it's I don't funny. Know why, do, but does it, it just does. <laughs> does it come with a modicum of thought? And you know, having observed how London's done it or wherever else has done it, does Zurich then decide to sort of claim it as its own and do it in a slightly more organized way but pokeballs um, or, poke- or, anything, or street fairs anything pokeballs because what does a street parade feel like in in zurich because i know that if you've been to pride in london it's you know all you know, the, the tires are off um is it like that in zurich or does everybody just is everybody terribly well behaved no, I don't think they're well behaved. They said, I, I saw as if there was like a like a ticker as there is. There's a ticker for everything these days, don't you think? This it must be. Are there ticker desks in newsrooms who so that you can run five or six tickers? Anyway, every uh, website it seemed to have Swiss website that is uh, had a ticker for the parade yesterday. Um, I saw by early evening there'd only been 23 arrests. Now I think 23 arrests with 900,000 or a million people uh, parading on bridges and jumping off them. It's, that's not bad. It's not bad. One one person died tragically so yes. i mean and um, there was um, drowned in the lake i mean I don't know how exactly, but anyways, it's still under investigation, I think. Um, but yeah, so in general, I think it's super well organized, that's for sure. So there are even like two checkpoints where you can test all kind of drugs. So it's kind of like police-free zone and like you want to be kind of in a safe environment. And so, but it is it is quite a bit of craziness, which I think is, is really nice for Zurich once a year um, for this kind of well-behaved and organized city to have, you know, a bit of craziness just popping into the city. Oliver, but it feels, it feels, it, it is quite democratic in in a way because you do have a lot of people as this point saying who just want to go and like literally like let their hair down mm. um or whack on a pair of buffalo trainers uh which they wouldn't normally do in their job working for the zirko cantonal bank uh between monday and friday that was the one thing it seemed like it's a bit of a leveler isn't it which is in many ways quite zurich do you get a lot of people oh. coming? So I apologise, Todd. No, go get, ahead. This is an important question, you, obviously. No, it's not remotely <laughs> important. Um, is that, well, it sort of follows on to what you've just said. Um, do you have a lot of people who Monday to Friday have been working for the Zurich Cantonal Bank who suddenly do whack on a pair of buffaloes and, and let rip? Or is this okay. people coming from... Is this a sort of a locals thing or is this an enormous sort of tourism thing? This is Oliver's beat as well. Yeah, the, so let, 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 we'll let him get into it. I always thought it was uh, it was not a thing of the locals, but I changed my mind. I think actually I'm always surprised um, on Mondays when I talk with colleagues, how many of them were to street parade. And especially, I mean, I also wanted to go actually to Lethargy, so to the famous after party in the Rote Fabrik, which is a very local thing, I think, is full of Zurich people. So, no, I think uh, half of the city enjoys it. 
The other half is on holiday. Or they're up, they're up in the mountains. Uh, Emma, should we um, maybe uh, see if our, our guy Delaney uh, is is around as well? Just before we go to him, though, maybe we should just start on the newspapers here. Florian, you've got uh, the FT open. Uh, what uh, what have you seen? So the FT, I opened the FT because I thought like it's impossible. There is not a single story about Taiwan in Swiss newspapers. I feel that this is just like so underrepresented, and I wonder why actually nobody writes about it, which kind of annoys me. There is a story in the FT about Taiwan about how nobody seems to care about these, uh, these including Chinese, the Swiss newspapers. China, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but also the residents of Taiwan about the Chinese exercises, even on the island that really are closest to, to the to the shore. And another story that caught my eyes, which I find really interesting. Um, is the Rhine, um, so one of the most important rivers, of course, for commercial freight, is at the new low um, and is really kind of, you know, hampering Swiss and German economies and also everything kind of further downstream. Um, we've had this in 2018, but I think it's something that will be reoccurring if we see these droughts and, you know, with climate change, we're going to have more of those. So it's really about economic impacts of, of our current times, which I find extremely interesting. Does part, part of um, Lake Zurich empties out into the Rhine at some point, doesn't it? Somewhere? Does it join up or no? Or the Rhine, the Rhine diverts? It does. Yes, it does. I think it does. So yeah. it, there'll be a surge today. All of the people peeing, peeing, peeing <laughs> exactly. in the lake for the last 24 so it, hours. It, will, it, will, it, will, it would add a the, centimeter to the an, Rhine. An uptick <laughs> for a couple of hours. <laughs> um, just uh, you, you talked also about uh, a story that you found in Australia uh, for us uh, exactly. as, so as that well. Was, that was a bit of a Qantas theme. A bit of a Qantas theme, yes, which I think will come up again afterwards. So the CEO of Qantas, um, his last name is Choice. And uh, it's become a, um, apparently a popular term in Australia to talk about being choiced, um, which referred to originally at, you know, this feeling of, oh, I'm at the airport, my flight is cancelled, my flight is five hours delayed, and also I lost my luggage when I arrive at the next at the destination. So this really feeling of, you know, it's either if you're on a business trip, you're kind of, you don't have the time, or if you're in holidays, you really don't want to have the nuisance. So it's really this kind of you, you just don't need problems at this point, and then you have all of these problems, and, and, and this really big, deep feeling of being pissed off. Um, so that's being joyced now. Yes. So yeah, I've been, joyced. I've been joyced. So yeah, been my, joyced, my, my flight has, my flight's been canceled. I was on my way to Singapore. Damn, Florian, I've been joyced. Yes, damn, I've been joyced again. And I think, you know, in popular language, this will evolve. So it, it won't just be limited to airport situations. So I'm pretty sure you can soon be joyced in life generally, you know. It'll be interesting. Emma, do you, do you have thoughts of that? And also, you know, what if someone has a bad experience on Lufthansa? Will they have been spored, uh, do, do you think? Or if they, if they have a bad experience on Air France, will they have been smithed? Which doesn't sound so, so exciting. Jo- so joist is good, obviously. Is it's, it's, quite, good. It's, a, it's a meaty term. Emma, views on that? Uh, spored is an excellent expression, I would go for. Um, I think... To, I, I'm... I think we're we're into that world now where the the whole idea of travel has become a a sort of an an ecosystem of issues, hasn't it? And I'm sort of quite bored of this. Um, I mean, we have been um, O'Leary'd for a very, very long time, but we've sort of got used to it. And so I think maybe... And that's kind of your fault if you're O'Leary'd, right? I mean... You know you're walking into it. Yeah, you kind of know from the head start, right? Yeah, <laughs> which is which actually coming to the way the way that we are now. Actually, some people are kind of reassured by that. Expectation I know actually some of people sort of yeah, there's so, there's such good expectation management with Ryanair, uh, but also a lot of people are, are yeah, and that's the thing. It has come full circle. I think actually people find Ryanair quite respectable uh, in in many ways compared to how the legacy airlines are are uh, certainly behaving. On that note, uh, and speaking of travel, we should uh, make our way eastward uh, from Switzerland uh, and head to Ljubljana, where we're joining our Balkans correspondent, Guy Delaney. Is there a good morning, Guy? 
Good morning, Tyler, and good morning, all. I flew in on Wizz Air, actually, uh, last Okay, well, week. Tell, you, from, you weren't on the low-approaching aircraft uh, over uh, over that Greek island, were you? No, I wasn't. It was a very, very normal and standard approach into Ljubljana Airport. But uh, Wizz Air is an interesting one. It's definitely the cheapest of the cheap airlines, if you know what I mean. You sort of feel it from the moment that you get on board. The, the, well, it's the also... It's be, almost become sort of, you know, the, the, the multi-flag carrier for all of, of Eastern Europe now. It, it's, it's remarkable to watch the growth of, of this carrier. Well, I'm not saying it grew out of the ashes of when Malev went under, but obviously a, a Hungarian-founded uh, airline um, and has literally sort of spread its wings, you know, also yeah. setting up bases all over Western Europe as well. And it, it's it's uh, you've got other airlines which have gone as well, of course. Adria from uh, Slovenia went just before the pandemic started. Uh, Croatia Airlines struggles on, but you know it's uh, it's everybody knows it's got issues. The thing with Wiz is we dearly like in this region to have somebody, particularly the diaspora from around the region who work in Slovenia. They would dearly love for an airline to have direct flight flights to places like Skopje, Tirana, uh, to Pristina, uh, Sarajevo. That would all come in very handy for the tens of thousands of people from those countries who work in Slovenia at the moment and and we don't have it so I was thinking of setting up a a very simple airline doing a little round robin flight uh, and we would call it Diaspora Air. I like it. Uh, I was just going to say as well I always rather liked uh, seeing the the Adria livery and there was something just sort of evocative the name was right and here's a country Mm. which you think is you think it's landlocked when you think of Slovenia, uh, but it's not. It's got that little sliver uh, to the rest of the world, uh, or a sliver of coastline, I should say. Uh, By the way. Sorry? Which was just burning when I went on holiday. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was these uh, uh, wildfires around uh, Trieste and uh, also on the Slovenian part, and so it was almost cut off from the coast due to the to the fire. Guy, can you bring us more details on that, please? Oh, yes. I mean, the, the Karst region, exactly, was had the most severe wildfire that anybody could remember in Slovenia. So that was a, a definitely a huge issue. We've had drought along the coastal region. So for quite a few weeks now, uh, we've had the usual hosepipe bans in place. But they've actually been taking water tankers into the coastal regions just to ensure that people have enough water for, for, for daily use. It's been quite severe. So, Guy, let's stay on the coast. Uh, you, uh, you teased us with a story um, for, well, about Serbs in, in Croatia. Tell us about that. Well, it's been going bananas in Croatia this season. It's a record-breaking season for tourists in Croatia. This is better than... 2019 was the previous record. We know what happened after that. This year, the breaking that record of 2019. And that includes people from Serbia. Now, this is a vexed issue because, of course, in August in, in, in Croatia, they, they celebrate the anniversary of Operation Storm, uh, which was a military operation at the end of the Homeland War, as they call it in Croatia, in 1995. That's not the way that Serbia sees it. They see it as the most egregious act of ethnic cleansing of the entire Balkans conflicts, uh, when hundreds of thousands of ethnic Serbs were, were forced from their homes in Croatia and set off on this uh, refugee column into safety in Serbia while they were being bombed by Croatian military jets. So we, we've had, first of all, the mayor of Novi Sad saying, well, how can you go on holiday to Croatia while they're, they're, they're celebrating such a thing? Uh, and everybody's joined in, basically. Prime Minister Anna Bernabic saying, well, my family's got a, an ancestral home on the island of Kirk, but I can't go there while I'm prime minister. Uh, President Aleksandr Vucic saying, I'm not going to the Croatian coast. I would like to go to the genocide memorial at Yesen but they're not letting me go there. So you can hear the, the sort of controversy that's been uh, confected from this issue. And, and meanwhile, ordinary
ordinary Serbian people are just saying, you know what, I quite fancy popping to the Croatian coast, and uh, their numbers are a fifth up on what they were in 2019. Which is quite something. Uh, Oliver, you have a, a comment on that? Yeah, I was, like, every year I spent my summer holidays in Croatia. Uh, my wife is half Croatian. And this summer, so I'm so glad you gave me context, because this summer I've seen more Serbian cars than ever before, and the first time I haven't seen demolished uh, Serbian mm-hmm. cars, basically. Um, so it seems that there is a, a, a bit of a, a discrepancy between what happens at uh, the political level and what happens at the everyday level of, of the Croatians and the, and the Serbians, because um, it really didn't feel tense when I saw when I saw the Serbian cars and, and my wife confirmed that this just got more and more common. Um, yeah. And on so, another note, sorry, um, you said it was an excellent summer. So the Croatians, of course, they were complaining as every summer that there are not okay. enough tourists this year in the country. And I believe them. So it's good to see um, that this is not true. Guy, just on that, the, the, the political reality versus uh, people who, of course, uh, just want to you know, get their beach chairs out uh, and, and have a good time. Obviously, despite maybe the Croatian grumpiness that there still aren't enough people being a record here and everything. Um, yeah, below the surface, everything, you know, harmonious, though, people happy, happy to spend money and take money. Well, it's very interesting that this year I haven't heard reports of bad things happening to people with Serbian car number plates. And in the past, you would. You'd, you'd hear about you know, aerials being bent or number plates removed or exactly. graffiti being daubed on cars. And, and you know, when I used to rent my cars when I lived in Belgrade, I, I had a little neighbourhood place that I would rent from. And when I told them I was going to Croatia, he would, he would wince. He would definitely flinch uh, when I told him this. And it's like... Well, where are you going? So if I was going to uh, if, I, if I was going to Zagreb, if I was going to uh, Kvarner, that was okay. If I was going down into southern Dalmatia, that that was going to be an issue because those are the places which uh, we, we were, you know, real height of the conflict. And and it, it was well known that people would um, attack cars with Serbian number plates, you know, with, with or without the occupants being in them in those places. So it is it is heartening that you're not hearing those reports and. Now, I suppose, if you're going to be an optimist about it, you could say, well, if the numbers are rising of ordinary Serbian people going to the Croatian coast, well, maybe this is how we receive, uh, how we achieve reconciliation, you know, not through politicians sitting down and talking to each other, not through initiatives, but by, you know, unfurling a beach towel and enjoying the sun. Now, Guy, you teased us uh, also at the top of the program uh, with a story about uh, Tito tours, uh, and I'm wondering, well, who, who's signing up for them? And is that maybe been a bit of a unifying force uh, as well between the <laughs> Serbs and the Croatians? Well, he's not quite Nikola Tesla, is he? But in a way, he is, because just like every city in former Yugoslavia has a Nikola Tesla boulevard, just about every place has a, a Marshall Tito boulevard or a Marshall Tito square, with the exception of Zagreb, which five years ago deleted Tito's name from just about everything in Zagreb, and he's, he's in official circles, and certainly in Croatian nationalist circles, and you have to bear in mind that the, the governing party is a nationalist party, um, you know, his name is Mud, um, but that hasn't stopped somebody setting up this Tito tour of Zagreb, which is a walking tour, basically takes people around the places of significance in Tito's life, including the former Marshal Tito Square, talking about the history of the issue, not sugarcoating it, they say. Um, but, you know, obviously this has raised the hackles of nationalist politicians, one of whom says it's absolutely unacceptable, an ideological provocation and shame. And so this is, uh, and that, that was a reaction to the Zagreb Tourist Board actually having the Tito walking tour on their list of attractions in, in Zagreb. Florian, 
Guy, does it include a food tour? Because I've always heard that Tito is famous for preparing dinners that are tailored to his like state visit. So if the prime minister from another country would come, it would always be the dish of the other country. And there is even the Tito's cookbook. You can even buy it, I think. Um, a compilation of different dinners um, offered when different heads of states visited. So is any food component in this tour as well? I don't know. It would be a bit of a miss if, it, if, if there wasn't, wouldn't it? I mean, especially bearing in mind that the food's pretty good in, in Zagreb anyway. You'd like to think that they would have uh, some, some element of that. But, you know, it's not the only Tito-related tourist attraction in Croatia. Because as, as, as we're talking, I'm, I'm remembering that the renovation of his, his yacht, Galeb, is, has been underway for some time in, in Rijeka, which, which is a city which considers itself not entirely Croatian in the same way that Liverpool considers itself not entirely English. Um, and they've been renovating this, this yacht of Tito's Galeb, and that's going to be ready for people to go on board any time now as well. So there's a little bit of a Tito revival. But is that going to be like the Britannia? It's just going to be docked. It's not something that Florian's going to be able to charter uh, for his tour around the Aegean uh, or, or the Adriatic next year. With the yeah, chef, sadly not. It, uh. it's, it's just going to be a museum, but maybe there'll be a restaurant on board. I mean, after all, as, as, as we will find out in a future issue of Monocle magazine, there are Michelin stars in Rijeka. So um, I don't know, maybe you could have one of those on board Gallup as well. Very good, uh, very good guy. Just before we go, uh, in one minute before we head back to London for the news, uh, tell us about the Kidults uh, issue uh, in Slovenia. So Slovenia, two-thirds of Slovenians aged 18 to 34 still live with their parents. This is largely due to a, a dire lack of any kind of accommodation for them. 80% of people own their own property in Slovenia, not the young ones, though. 20% of properties in Ljubljana are empty because people are basically storing these things up as savings and hoping to flip them, I suppose, at some point in the future. The government tried to come up with a scheme to encourage people to have these empty properties rented out in a, in a state scheme. Uh, they've had this scheme running since February. Do you know how many properties they've managed to sort out? Uh, no idea on a Sunday morning. Six. So it's not going to put much of a dent in things. No, and we'll, uh, we'll sort of, we, we, can, we can go into the whole sociology behind this later. Our Guy Delaney, uh, our correspondent in the Balkans, thanks very much for that. Uh, just bottom of the hour, Emma Nelson is back in the studio in London. Thank you very much indeed, Tyler. A man has appeared in court charged with the attempted murder of the author Salman Rushdie. The writer has been taken off a ventilator and is now able to speak, according to his agent. Ukraine has warned that any Russian soldiers who shoot at or under the cover of the Zaporizhia nuclear plant is a special target for security services. President Volodymyr Zelensky has accused Russia of using the plant, Europe's largest, as nuclear blackmail. The European Space Agency has begun preliminary talks with Elon Musk's SpaceX programme about the temporary use of its launchers. The surprise move towards Mr Musk's US-based aerospace company comes as a result of the conflict in Ukraine. And a goat who ran through the streets of a Spanish city before breaking into a jewellery shop has escaped a second time. She was first spotted heading along the Murcia Highway into the city of Cartagena at around nine o'clock on Wednesday evening. Riot police were dispatched on motorbikes and in cars to pursue her. She was finally caught only once she'd smashed a few glasses in the shop. She was then placed among a flock of sheep, but shepherds discovered that she'd gone within 24 hours. And those are the headlines. Back to you, Tyler, in Zurich. Thanks very much, uh, Emma. Uh, so just uh, we should say that uh, probably what, in about 10 minutes time, uh, it's going to be very exciting. You're probably going to do a costume change because we're going into sort of quiz game show mode, right? So, Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah. 
We're all going to adopt the brace position. Today. I was going <laughs> to. We have. We're all going to play our roles. Of course, I'm going to be the host. Of course, uh, you're going to be uh, the blonde woman on every game show. Uh, who, who, of course, is the supporting act, right? Thanks. <laughs> so uh, that will happen in 10 minutes. As we said last week, we had our, our common sense quiz. It, it, here's what the amazing thing is, uh, Emma, that the mm. amount of uh, actual Monocle colleagues, contributors uh, who also wrote in uh, because they wanted to win some prizes as well. And uh, I said, this is not going to fly with compliance. Um, but it was, it was kind of amazing how many of our, 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 far, our, far, our far-flung reporters also wanted to get in on the act. Was this because they were burning to have their opinions heard or because they wanted some stuff? I, I think they wanted just some stuff. Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> I, I, th- I know. Well, anyway, but they could just, they could ask for some stuff. And I think they get a staff discount as well. Anyway, um, <laughs> you go get changed. Thank um, you. And, Thanks for uh, sending me the outfit. I'm very grateful. It looks great. <laughs> Wonderful. Extra, extra body glitter uh, as well, please. And a corset. In, indeed. <laughs> and speaking of correspondence, uh, we're going to Marseille right now to speak to our uh, South of France and uh, North Africa correspondent, Mary Fitzgerald. Good morning, Mary. Good morning, Tyler. So uh, let's uh, let's start. Uh, you've really given us. Uh, it's a, well, well, the French are not into a sort of a breakfast buffet, uh, as we know. It's it's more coffee, cigarettes, and a, a jus d'orange, and uh, and maybe a pain au chocolat. But anyway, you've you've given us at least four items uh, to to talk about. Maybe just the temperature, not the temperature of the sea, but the temperature of of Marseille, because it just seems that every other person you speak to, at the moment, is either looking for property um, in Marseille or they were just uh, there because a new hotel opened. Uh, but it is definitely having a a moment as 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 France's second city. Indeed, you know, it, it's been so interesting to watch. I've been visiting Marseille for, for many, many years and decided to make it home uh, in 2018. And just in the last couple of years, uh, Marseille has become this this really hip destination. It's um, it's and, and that's so at odds with its image and reputation in previous years. Uh, people tended to kind of bypass Marseille if they were visiting uh, the south of France. But nowadays, you know, there's all this talk about Marseille is like a new Berlin on the Mediterranean. Uh, you have artists and other creatives moving to the city from Paris and other European cities. And it, it also has what many consider to be one of France's most exciting food scenes. Um, President Macron is a big fan of the city. Um, he regularly visits, announced a major investment uh, plan for the city last November. So it's really interesting in terms of the reinvention um, of the city, France's second city that for so long was was overlooked for, for a whole range of reasons. And part of the success uh, is, and and I think everyone is kind of aware of various initiatives that, of course, uh, have gone into the city to to lift things. And, and, uh, and of course, there's extraordinary connectivity. You see more and more airlines opening routes uh, into into Marseille um, as well. But the other part of the attraction is is this edginess. And, and because it is a doorstep to North Africa, people you know often talk that it, and, and certainly there's quite a big Lebanese diaspora. So I speak to a lot of Lebanese friends and they said, it really does feel a little bit like Beirut in, in France, both good and bad, uh, that it has this sort of cosmopolitan nature, but then also a lot of things from a public infrastructure point of view probably don't work as well as they do elsewhere in the country. What, what do you think are the points of attraction? Well, you know, I often say that that Marseille to me is the is the one truly Mediterranean uh, city in in the European Mediterranean. In that, you know, unlike say Barcelona or Naples, etc., Marseille uh, was was founded by Greeks um, in 600 BC. It's been shaped by um, 
migration ever since from around the Mediterranean and beyond. So Marseille really is a kind of a bridging city between Europe and Africa. It's where Europe and Africa meet. They've been meeting for, for centuries and mixing. And it has a particular atmosphere as a result. And I think people like Macron and others who see the potential in that, right, see the potential in, in that relationship, historical and contemporary, that linking relationship, they get the city in a way that those who kind of tended to uh, overlook Marseille in the past uh, did not. And I think it's, it's, you know, Marseille is also really interesting in terms of the increasingly um, important geopolitical space that the Mediterranean has become. Of course, the Mediterranean was always a geopolitical space, more intensely so in, in recent years, as France's second city, um, as a city where you have very important uh, fiber optic cables leaving Marseille. Uh, Africa's connectivity relies a lot on those cables. So there's a lot of talk about how Marseille is kind of entering this kind of new era, apart from the, all those who want to make Marseille home because the quality of life there is 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 wonderful. There's also this geopolitical aspect that makes the city really interesting and intriguing right now. Just, to, uh, I want to talk about security for a moment. Of course, there have been some incidents um, in in Marseille uh, of of late. Uh, as a, a resident, you've been there for for four years or so. Uh, how how does it feel? Is it like any other city in the sense that you just you know where to go and where not to go, uh, or has there because again, let's let's face it, you speak to also a lot of people in France uh, who who really say that police don't have lid on things. You know, high profile issue in Lyon the other day. You know, cops you know pull a car over. Uh, then they're swarm surrounded, have to run into a convenience store to protect themselves. Uh, is is there a little bit of this going on or do you feel that there's a lid on things in Marseille? Well, you know, there's no doubt that there are um, real structural challenges in Marseille, that many of them are, are historical, historically rooted. Um, and it is true that Marseille has um, and has had for a long time um, a reputation in, in, in France for um, for basically uh, crime, particularly drug-related crime, etc. I think what's important to note is that um, when it comes to the city centre, Marseille is quite a sprawling city. It's a, a million residents, but it's quite a sprawling city. In the city centre, you um, have little or no sense of, of, of these dynamics. Um, so drug-related violence tends to um, occur in the, in the northern parts of, of the city. Um, you know, there have been reports in local media over the years showing that actually when you look at levels of crime, uh, street crime, etc., in Marseille compared to other French cities, that Marseille actually doesn't rate too badly in that. But it's it has been burdened, if you like, by this uh, reputation that, that goes back decades. Personally, um, having lived there now for, for a number of years, having visited the city for, for many more, I've seen the changes in Marseille, not just in terms of infrastructural changes, um, the, the different people that are moving to the city, et cetera, but also just a sense that um, there is a different kind of dynamic in the city that I think, you know, is, is partly to do with a new political dispensation. So in 2020, um, the the mayor, uh, who was a right-wing mayor, he'd been uh, mayor for over 20 years, he retired. He was replaced by a green left um, alliance um, that really has been 
implementing implementing a lot of, of changes in the city and really trying to kind of encourage a sense of, you know, Marseille has always been known in, in France for having a sense of kind of coexistence that's perhaps missing in other major uh, French cities. But certainly the, the new uh, city hall has been trying to kind of encourage that further and, and a sense that, you know, we're all stakeholders in, in the city and, and the importance of that. Uh, and maybe let's uh, go a little bit uh, for, further afield. Well, actually, or, or maybe let's before we do that, sur- surveying the streets. Who's who's there? Do you have a sense of, of who's buying? Because, you know, I, I was just, you know, touching on just the anecdote of, of Zurich. Very fast flight. Uh, you know, you're, you're there up and down in less than, than an hour. A lot of people are looking from there. A lot of people from Geneva uh, also looking um, at Marseille as this place, which is on the Med, you know, of course, very reasonably friendly winters, etc. Uh, so who, who's what's your sense, Mary, of who's on the street? And maybe uh, maybe more importantly, uh, sort of more than peering into the uh, estate agent windows. Well, in, in recent years, and, and Macron has also been pushing this idea that the, the kind of surrounding Marseille X uh, region, that's Marseille X en Provence uh, region, will be a kind of um, a French Silicon Valley of the future. So there's been a big kind of push um, to to attract people working in, in tech, et cetera, to bring in investors. The local um, development agencies have been very keen to, to go to the US, for example, to go, go to other parts of, of Europe, to go to Asia, to basically tell that story about Marseille and the greater Marseille um, X region and, and what they pitch as the potential of, of that region. So you're, we're starting to see investment come um, in, in terms of that kind of sector. It's, it's tentative, but it's, it's happening. And uh, then other than that, you have a lot of creatives um, coming to Marseille. I've been really struck, actually, over the last year and a half, walking around Marseille, how often I hear people speak um, English. And uh, these are not Americans. These are people coming from from Britain. And that's been really interesting. There's been, you know, a whole cohort of young creatives uh, moving from London and other parts of of Britain to Marseille over the last couple of years, which I find very striking, given that, you know, post-Brexit, it's not the easiest for for British nationals to to move to continental uh, Europe. You also have a lot of um, Parisians moving. And this started happening during the lockdowns of, of 2020, even before that Marseille had been developing this kind of reputation as this cool city on the Med, you know, uh, life was was easy, um, the cost of living was was uh, relatively low, uh, certainly compared to, to Paris. So what we see in the property market is a lot of Parisians um, buying places because you can snap up places in really nice neighborhoods in Marseille right by the sea uh, for a fraction of, of, of you know, similar property in, in Paris. Um, so a lot of Parisians, a lot of um, British and uh, and then people actually quite an interesting flow coming from Berlin as well. So it's that whole kind of, you know, Berlin, Marseille kind of parallel um, people who feel that Marseille offers um, a better quality of life now um, at a at a relatively cheap cost. And just before we go, Mary, uh of course, Paris and and the nature of France. Uh, you, you know, we talk about um, a monopole and and really what that means, of course, for for media. But I'm I'm just curious about the media scene. When you are a second city, how much pluck, how much fight back uh, is there uh, that that you see versus, uh, of of course, um, and and probably you know against, of course, the big state broadcasters, the power of Le Monde, uh, you know, the the power of Les Echo as a, as a business newspaper. What what's the media scene like? And also giving a voice to this part of France and certainly the role of a second city. 
Well, it's been really interesting as well to see changes in, in terms of that. Um, all the big media, uh, French media outlets have correspondence um, in Marseille. Um, it's been interesting to see the coverage shift. I think not so long ago, uh, Marseille appeared in uh, national media in France, um, usually only when uh, there was some kind of drug-related uh, killing or clash or something like that, or some kind of crime-related story that you know fed the existing stereotypes and cliches about Marseille in the French imagination. That has, has shifted. So now there's a lot of coverage about Marseille's reinvention, um, you know, the, the new Marseille, how Marseille is changing. And some of that coverage is, you know, I hear a lot of locals kind of complain now that they feel that there's so much publicity about how wonderful Marseille is that um, they they kind of you know want that to kind of die down a little bit because they, they some locals feel there are too many people moving to to Marseille and of course that has triggered all kinds of discussions in the city about gentrification etc. One thing I've been struck by as well is that a lot of foreign correspondents based in Paris have started to um, to come to Marseille more often, which I think is really welcome. Um, you know, as we know, when it comes to coverage of France, because France is so de France is so centralized anyway, coverage of France tends to be very Paris-centric. And I've always kind of uh, bemoaned that because, you know, I've said to foreign correspondents based in Paris that, you know, Marseille is, is France's second city. There are so many interesting stories in Marseille beyond the kind of cliched um, stories. And thankfully, and I think that this is a lot to do with the fact that, you know, Macron is, is quite obsessed with the with the city. That has um, caused many correspondents to kind of think, oh, what is it about this city that we've heard all these kind of stereotyped ideas about, but Macron is fascinated by it. So let's go and explore and see, see what that's about. Very good. Mary Fitzgerald, uh, our correspondent uh, in Marseille covering uh, France and also North Africa for us. It's uh, 10.44, almost 10.45 uh, here in Zurich. It's competition time and we'll get there right after this. You're listening to Monocle on Sunday, brought to you in association with Spain. Spain has an inexhaustible capacity to surprise. From its rich cultural traditions to its landscapes, it's a place of many wonders for people of all tastes and interests. A country whose cuisine offers almost infinite regional variation, Spain boasts far more than just paella and gazpacho. And whether you crave urban conviviality or the serenity of nature, a perfect Iberian bolt hole awaits. Few countries can equal Spain when it comes to homegrown produce. This abundance of delicious ingredients informs countless regional cuisines that have been perfected over centuries. Across the peninsula, chefs delight in reinventing traditional recipes for foodies craving fresh flavors. But where will you stay? In the centre of the old town, with the clink of glasses below your balcony, or deep in wine country, where the lodgings are as ancient as the vines, and dishes are designed around native varietals. With 5,000 kilometres of coastline, beaches abound, and it's easy to avoid the crowds by choosing a rural town, where the welcome is as warm as the weather. Everything you're dreaming of this weekend, in Spain this summer. Rediscover Spain and reimagine it. Spain. Spreading sunshine on Monocle on Sunday on Monocle 24. You're back with Monocle on Sunday with me, Tyler Berlay, also Emma Nelson in London. Emma, we love an experiment on this programme, don't we? It's Yes, I can wholeheartedly say it's an experiment. This is sort of a revisiting of a couple of quizzes that we've done before, but this is, but you've got me in the Dolly Bird role. I've, I'm, I'm all 
plumped and pumped up. Um, and we're ready to talk to some listeners who've been responding to a rather wonderful common sense quiz that you wrote last week. Indeed. Uh, and this was, was prompted uh, last uh, Saturday. Uh, I was, of course, that's that's the day that I, I, I file this this column. It's normally very uh, early-ish in the morning. Uh, but I was uh, I was in Sardinia was thinking about you know, what should we do and it's been a while as you said since we've we've done a quiz uh so i thought well why not it's sort of late summer etc so and let's let's pull the readers in um if uh if we can so yeah we'll, we'll sort of we'll, we'll set the scene and as, as you were saying it's, it's a common sense quiz emma because of course you know we, we want to of course it is it is one of the yeah i would say it's one of the pillars the editorial pillars of our brand isn't it it's a, we're, we're about pragmatism we're about having a, a sensible point of view and take on things it's a it's a wry observation of the way that the world has become without i don't know about you but it sort of caught me all unawares and i've suddenly found myself on occasion living in a world that i'm not entirely sure i understand anymore <laughs> Well, indeed. So this this is this is the first this is the first question. So, and I should say, there's prizes, there are books, uh, there are wonderful little Japanese carrying cases given away. We're, we've left it to Rafi, who runs retail. Uh, we're also going to give out a top prize. And we said there was only going to be three winners, but in fact, uh, there were so many good responses uh, from all over the world. Uh, but that, that there's that there are more winners. I think if we tally them up, there are about uh, seven or eight people are going to get get prizes today. So anyway, here's this is question one that we posed. It's Saturday afternoon. You're at a lovely hotel in Sardinia. But no one told you when you booked that most of the hotel was going to be taken over by Instagrammers. So you've got, you know, augmented lips, boobs, bums, and the photographers are there. There are so many of them that they're blocking out the sun. What do you do? So, of course, we have a, we have a variety of, of, I would say, sort of rather clever responses. But we have someone in Hong Kong, don't we, Emma, who uh, we're going to, we think is, has one of sort of the better solutions. And I think one, and certainly one of the most pragmatic as well. We'll do, we will, we will do. And uh, in fact, Will is the best uh, way to introduce this gentleman. Will Seckham in Singapore. Um, are you there, Will? I am. Wonderful. Tyler's listening. I'm I, good. Uh, well, very good afternoon uh, to, to Singapore. So when you heard this, and this is probably a familiar scene right now, of course, you know, hotels, all fine hotels and maybe not such good hotels all over the world uh, being taken over uh, by by Instagrammers. Uh, and your solution was what? Well, I remember reading the FT years ago and David Tang was complaining about young people texting each other at the table, which which seems almost like a you know, if we could go back to something as simple as that, it would be wonderful, wouldn't it? But um, he said you could buy this device for jamming mobile phone signals. And my suggestion was that you bought one of those and get it under your deck chair. And I think I said take the Insta out of Instagram, which uh, I'm sure would be more than enough if people can't post pictures themselves on Instagram instantly. Um, I think they, they lose interest in doing it completely. So that was my solution. Unfortunately, um, as I said to you, in my response, I then looked it up on the internet and found out that these devices are illegal and you can be sent to prison for 10 years for using one. But uh, I'm sure that won't stop some people if one's a little bit imaginative about it. But uh, yeah, I mean, I completely agree with you. And I, I agree with uh, your colleague on saying that sometimes I feel I inhabit a world which I don't understand at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, listen. Um, I, I know you're a bit of a, a recent transplant uh, to Singapore. Just while, while we have you, uh, what's what's the the, the mood uh, in in Singapore these days? As parts of Asia open up, other parts of Asia feel like we're, you know Japan, for example. Are they are they ever going to reopen properly? Yeah, I think I think everyone here has been quite pragmatic. I think it's it's pretty positive. As I mentioned to you, I recently transplanted from Hong Kong via Taiwan, where attitudes are. Well, be different, 
as, as we know. Um, Taiwan is, is, I think, getting on top of it and looking to open up again. But I think everyone here is quite positive. I think there's still a little bit of concern that uh, the disease is still doing the rounds, and particularly young people and kids. I think we have to be a little bit careful of going into situations where there are shoulder-to-shoulder people in the sort of two and three hundreds. But I think generally everyone's very positive. The weather's lovely. It's nice and hot. So it's, it's a good place to be. Very good. Uh, Will Thackham in uh, Singapore uh, there. Thanks very much. Um, Emma, just one, one interesting point on, on Will as well. So as he said, you know, unfortunately, it appears to, to have these, uh, of course, signal jamming devices. They're, they're illegal in Italy. He also said, but then again, so is tax evasion. Absolutely. And if you're not caught, then did it really happen? Well, exactly. Uh, the the other one, which is also quite good, we should say Jonathan uh, in in Germany. His his response to that was his immediately seek out sensible looking staff, a, a sensible looking staff member. He said perhaps a West Anderson cast stand and who appears equally aghast at the state of affairs suggests that an emergency security check of the hotel's IT systems is warranted that requires the disabling of all Wi-Fi for a few hours. When the Instagrammers get bored with looking at each other rather than their static phones, hop back onto the vacate, vacated loungers, enjoy your time in the sun. I love. And, and there are others. I love the fact that we could actually um, get a space on the sun lounger and actually look and look at each other and talk to each other and pick up a newspaper and uh, get it a little bit soggy around the pool. Um, I think you could just be simply just dispatch any member of my family and get them to stand behind them. Um, well, we the, are glor- the... gloriously natural and unplumped and unaugmented. And I think we could absolutely ruin it in a second. Indeed. Okay, so question two was, you're not a fan of video conferences. You're also a stickler when it comes to timekeeping. What's an acceptable window to wait for someone to appear on screen? Three minutes? Five? I believe Hubert in Hamburg uh, has the answer for us. Uh, Guten Morgen, Hubert. Guten Morgen, Tyler. Uh, Very nice to hear from you. Uh, Many, many good uh, answers uh, all, all round. But what happens in this moment? Of course, we, you know, I've, I've lived in Hamburg for a while. Uh, certainly, uh, the, the northern Germans, like many Germans, uh, like to, to start things uh, on time. Um, I'm sure you've been exposed to this world of screens like all of us have. Hubert, what, what is your solution? Well, I grew up on a farm in Bavaria, so uh, common sense uh, means something to me. And uh, here in Hamburg, people are different, yeah, right? Um, I would just uh, relax and uh, take it with a grain of humor. Well, and, and, go, and going beyond that, so just this, this, is, this is why, Hubert, you, you are one of our finalists. As, as you wrote to me, you said, there's, there's no hurries. I would use the waiting time to arrange my beard in yes. more fashionable ways. A little grooming uh, gets you a long way. <laughs> in, indeed. Um, there's, I want to go to the, the third one because you also had uh, quite, quite a good response. And this is, and, and I should say, listen, these are all actual things that have happened because we had someone uh, write a bit of an unhappy letter who said, you know, why did you talk about Instagrammers and, and why were they all women? It's well, because they were, because that's what I experienced in, in Sardinia. Now, the other one, this was um, up, up in the mountains. Um, the question was, you're in the lobby of a grand hotel in the Alps and your friends have invited their dog along to have its tummy rubbed. Of all the pets you're friendly with, this one's your favorite. Despite being more mid-sized than a toy, he jumps up on your lap. Guests all around ask his name, where he's from. He's having a lovely time and is so relaxed that he starts emitting the most silent, violent farts. Moments later, a woman nearby gags and another one pulls out a hand fan. What action do you take? But what's, what's well, that, what, what, what is a Bavarian now transplanted in Hamburg? What would they do? I would uh, take some creative action. I would just uh, tell people that I just invented a um, perfume and uh, call it Chanel Polar Dog and start selling it. 
Yeah, we'll put Chanel Poulachin. I'm sure would probably do well in many many Alpine uh, resorts. Uh, Emma, would you would, uh, <laughs> would would you concur? Could this could this be a market for everybody? Oh, Hubert, I think you've opened up a whole new market here which would be absolutely wonderful and I think if you could I mean I, I wonder has this ever been a thing when you were growing up in Bavaria Bavaria is full of fresh air but you 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 occasionally I, I don't know if this has happened to anyone but with a with a window open when you're driving uh, to uh, along the autobahn or through towns and in in, air, in rural areas you sometimes get hits of a smell that I have never smelled anywhere before Hubert that's true, and uh, uh, let me tell you, growing up on a farm, uh, you can smell a lot of, uh, you know, unfamiliar uh, smells, and uh, well, we, we just laugh, laugh it away. Very good. Hubert and Hamburg, uh, thank you very much for that. Just an editorial note on this. There was an over, really an overwhelming number of responses, Emma, to this third, that third category about the dog, but it actually goes back to the dog actually going to question one. Everyone said, take the farting dog and send it to Sardinia amongst the Instagrammers. The dog can be applied to a lot of the questions, actually. I, I wonder whether you need to take so much action. I would just glare at the lady in, in a sort of an accusatory way and see, you know, wonder whether someone else, whether we can sort of shift the blame to somewhere else. Indeed. So question four was, you've just read an article in a favorite Swiss newspaper about cancel culture. It's written from the, the perspective of a bemused correspondent based in Chicago, who, is a sharp, uh, who's, who has a sharp critique, of course, of this uh, U.S. export. You conclude that this type of commentary would no longer get past most editors in U.S. newsrooms, which makes it all the more intriguing. Do you send it to all of your U.S. friends and colleagues to show them that freedom of thought and expression is alive and well elsewhere? Or do you leave them alone? So just a couple of a couple on, on these. Meg F. from the Philippines, uh, she said, uh, don't send it. Americans know that cancel culture isn't a global phenomenon, but they believe it anyway. So sending it is akin to a judgment by St. Peter. Since some won't care to enter the gates of heaven anyway, they will continue to do as they wish, notwithstanding the consequences. Any standout from you, Emma, that's uh, on, our, on our winning list here? It's a, it's a tricky one, actually, because, it, you know, the world is in a different place in so many ways that, um, that you, you know, you have, to, you have to sort of be aware that other people have, have sort of changed in their directions and you don't want to sort of lose friends. But, but we've got uh, Jonathan in Miami, who I think we're trying to get through to, um, has, has, has talked about uh, only three actual newspapers editors left in the United States. So, so we're in that sort of funny, funny way of just, just going ahead and let them know that their country's twain-like culture has not been entirely cancelled. I think we have someone on the line. I think we have a gentleman in Mulvern in Worcestershire called Dan. Is that right? That is right. Good morning. Hello, Dan. Good morning, Dan. You're Hello. on the, li- you're on the radio with Tyler. <laughs> Fantastic. Dan, good morning. How's, everyone up, uh, how's everything up your way this morning? Uh, it's good. We have a, a garden full of teenagers who've been camping outside, so just feeding the 5,000 um, and uh, enjoying, uh, you know, unusually hot weather in the UK, which is a boring thing to talk about. So very quickly, Dan, because uh, we're, as you know, we're ticking to the end of the show. So on, on that one, uh, what would you do uh, if you found something in, in foreign press, which you think uh, wouldn't be seen elsewhere or doesn't have a lot of airtime? Uh, what what's, what's your response on that one? Um. I, I guess uh, is is this related to the the, the, the question question four right now exactly question four about yeah yeah I mean I'm I'm a believer in uh, in in freedom of speech and so I would I would share I think people need to see uh, you know media from all places in all, in all forms all shapes and sizes the moment you start to shut things down is is a pretty dangerous moment I think.
Very good. Well, Dan, we're going to have to go because um, you're, you're that garden full. It was very hard to sort of summon you from all of it. We're going to have to leave it uh, there. Uh, and I can just say there were many, many uh, winners, Emma, for, uh, for question uh, question five uh, as as well. Uh, but we're going to have to leave it there and probably send people to, of course, uh, go and indeed read today's column. Uh, Florian Egley, uh, Oliver Starbucks, thank you very much. Also, Emma Nelson back in London, Guy, Guy Delaney in Ljubljana, Mary Fitzgerald, of course, in Marseille, Desiree Van Lee, and, and of course, Norhold in London. Thank you very much. I'm Tyler Berlay. Also, thanks to all of our winners. You'll be getting treats in the post. Have a good day. Bye-bye.